This is Strange Assembly episode 272, PAX Unplugged 2019. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. We're on social media at facebook.com slash strangeassembly, at strangeassembly on Twitter, and strangeassembly on Instagram. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can find it on our website and, of course, on iTunes. We always greatly appreciate if you leave ratings or reviews on iTunes, as that helps other people discover the show. The Penny Arcade Expo made its third stop in Philadelphia this year for PAX Unplugged 2019, and I was there as I have been for, you know, every single one of them. It's so much easier to go to every single one of something that's been around for three years than something that's been around for 50, huh? PAX Unplugged was, again, an extremely well-executed convention. It definitely continued to get more of a bigger convention feel to it, in that, like, you you go, if you go into the exhibit hall from the right angle, you feel like, wow, there's a lot more major companies here, but you kind of get a third of the way down, and it starts to get more into the the smaller ones, which it, which is nice, because right when you you go to these successive conventions over the course of one year, it's nice to not just see exactly the same companies every time. There was definitely a layout difference this year. I know this is the sort of thing that probably only matters if you were there, but Pax Unblug does not occupy the entire convention center, and I guess just the way the spacing requirements worked out this year. They sort of stretched out across the entire thing from one side to the other without occupying everything in the middle, so it was a little bit of a pain to get from point A to point B sometimes because it it used to be you go from point A to point B, and now you go from point A all the way over to point C because point B is still there, but it's not part of the convention anymore. But such is life. So what I'm going to do today is talk about specific games that I played at PAX Unplugged, interspersed with a little bit of news and I think even one little minor game design rant in there because I can't help myself. So first, I got the chance to play the new Shards of Infinity expansion Shadow of Salvation. Shards of Infinity itself came out last year. It is a deck-building game by the designers of Ascension, and it's sort of a further evolution of Ascension plus Star Realms. There's a written review on the website if you want to see my more detailed thoughts about that. But Shadow of Salvation is a cooperative expansion for shards of infinity it it does add a it does add a fifth character to me but the main thing is the co-op where you play through a little story and go through a succession of enemies that each enemy has their own particular cards and then there's a few other cards that you put in there from different stacks that might be shared between the enemies but once you've assembled that you have a small deck for the enemy, and right, all the players take their turn together. You don't share resources, but you're buying out of the same row, so you can be like, oh, well, green wants that card, and then you want to take that card, and let's see what comes up in the row to have more efficient decks. Then the enemy takes a turn, and the enemy will flip a card out in front of each of the players. The cards that are from the sort of shared stack tend to be just enemies. It's kind of like a champion. They'll go out in front of you. Maybe they have an ambush effect right when they come out, and then they'll try to deal damage to the player they're in front of. Then they'll hang around, and the players can try to kill them off. If you don't kill them off, then they'll still be around the next time the enemy takes a turn, and they'll punch the players again. And then each of those enemies have, right, they have their own unique cards that'll do more distinctive things. For example, One of them has a bunch of traps, and so the trap will go out in front of a player. And then that player has to do something 
or else at the beginning of the enemy's next turn, the trap will go off, and maybe it'll deal damage to everybody. Maybe it will increase the enemy's mastery level. Maybe it will heal the enemy of health. He's got a variety of, of things that they can do, but you're right, that's the sort of, of different things. And then each of the enemies also builds up their own mastery level. They're not going to automatically have a, okay, I just win when I hit a high enough mastery level, but it's the sort of abilities where it's like, okay, hit mastery level, deal 50 damage to all the players. Technically not instant win, but, you know, it's pretty darn close. I think that Shards of Infinity is a great, great game. It's one of the best deck-building games out there. I think that if co-op is of any interest whatsoever to you, then Shadow of Salvation is worth checking out. Another booth that had something new that I was very excited about was North Star Games. Now, last year, North Star Games released the Quacks of Quendlinburg, designed by Wolfgang Warsh, and this won the Kennerspiel, very successful. And of course, North Star had that, but they also had a new game, the Taverns of Tiefenthal, same designer, just came out this year, and I have to say, as well-respected as Quacks is, I like Taverns even more. It is fantastic. Actually, right now, I write, think things change over time, but right now, at this very second, Taverns of Tiefenthal is my favorite game that came out in 2019. It is a tavern, as you may have guessed, tavern-themed game. It's got a deck-building element. You also have this tavern board that you can upgrade over the course by literally flipping pieces of it over. Over here, you've got a little spot. Then when you flip over that chunk of the board, oh, it's another server. And then over here, when you flip over that chunk of the board, you can see more space to store more ale in between turns. And what you're doing in this game is you have your deck has patron cards, and then your deck has upgrade and staff cards. And your deck building, instead of the usual I draw X cards, is going to be that you flip cards off the top of your deck until your tables are full. So more patrons, which are where most of your victory points are, can choke your deck down a little bit, but those other upgrades never do. You just keep drawing more and more and more of them until you've also drawn enough patrons to fill up the tables. And then along with that little deck building and tavern upgrading element is dice drafting, because having flipped out all of those cards, what every player is going to do is roll dice. You may have some number of dice that are just yours and you just to keep get to keep, but there's always going to be four dice that you roll that you're then, right, I pick one, pass, draft, pick one, pass, pick one, pass, usual drafting thing. You'll then use those dice to activate different spots on your board. Like most of your patrons are going to have, you know, I assign a two there, I get two coins. I assign a four there, I get four coins, that sort of thing. You use those coins to then help buy better staff and more staff and more tables to upgrade your tavern. And some of your tavern generates more money, but also some of your tavern is going to generate beer. Well, just like you use gold to buy more staff, you use the, the beer or the ale or whatever it is to buy more of those patron cards. And you go like that over eight rounds, and then you, you somebody's got the most victory points. The, the big thing is, right, usually who's managed to attract the biggest array of nobles who are patrons who are worth a lot of points, but are kind of crummy when they're sitting out at your tavern. But, you know, such such is life. They're not like Dominion victory point cards where they do nothing and they, they all hang out at the same table together so they don't just fill up everything with these nobles, but, but still, they're not as exciting during the game uh, as they are at the end of the game. Now, what I've talked about is just the basic game. There's a succession of four modules that adds more complexity. You know, it's winter and then you flip over the board and then there's schnapps as well and then there's a different subset of guests that you don't play on the you don't play with if you're just doing the the entry level stuff. But anyhow, it's really, really good. That's Taverns of Tiefenthal, designed by Wolfgang Warsh and published by North Star Games. In the course of talking about Shards of Infinity, I mentioned Star Realms. Star Realms is the best known game from I think from White Wizard Games. 
but not everything that they do is, you know, Star Realms or a deck building game. Uh, and one of the new games that they had at PAX Unplugged is called Kapow! And that's all in caps with an exclamation point. So that's, I should check with Jay. Jay will probably love that. Loves, uh, loves exclamation points, I think, in, in game titles. But Kapow! And it is thematically old-timey feeling, like Golden Age kind of comic book characters battling against each other. So the, the standard thing you're doing is just one hero against one villain. The base game is just one-on-one. If you have two copies of the game, you can play teams. If you get this little expansion, then you can play, you know, arch enemy style thing where you've got one super villain who's super powerful playing against more than one hero at a time. But this is a dice activation and also dice building game. It's it got some elements that are a little, little reminiscent of Dice Throne. If you've played that in writing that you're, you've got the, I'm going to roll my dice and then activate abilities. But in this case, both players are doing their, their dice simultaneously. And you have three sections of the board that are hidden behind your screen. And one of them is attacking, one of them is defending, and one of them is some utility stuff, and then also upgrading your dice. So most of your dice are just dice of a particular color one you know they and they tend to have more of a symbol right there's yellow dice that tend to roll more of you know the maybe it's the the fist and then red dice that roll more of the like you know arm making the muscle symbol and those are the symbols that you tend to use for attacking and then similarly there are dice that match the colors for for defense and so on so when you're upgrading you can add more of those dice maybe but you also have a buildable die that starts out you know with nothing on it and then you get to add faces to it through the upgrading. You can maybe get another one of those. Maybe you want to push towards offense. Maybe you want to push towards defense. Of course, if you can get them, hey, adding wild faces to your buildable die, pretty good. It's a quick playing game. It was really fun to play. When I first sat down, I got to play an entire game of it at the White Wizard booth. I immediately wanted to play again, which is, is a really good sign for a game. So you're building up, you're making your dice better, you're getting some hits in here or there, and then you're right, eventually you have to KO your opponent, and that'll be the winner. But that is Kapow from White Wizard Games. A few more newsy notes rather than full game looks. The Onyx Path booth was there, and I had the chance to to thumb through. Nothing special for me. They had it just sitting out at the booth. Anybody could look at it. They had the manuscript for Cults of the Blood Gods, which is their next Vampire the Masquerade product. It is as we speak on Kickstarter right now, so it it went on Kickstarter on uh, December 16th or 17th. It's the usual full run Kickstarter. My apologies if you're listening to this, you know, in late January, you're out of luck. I, I mean, it'll it'll end up in retail anyway. But if you want to get on on the Kickstarter, Onyx Path always does an excellent job at these things, and so they're splitting duties with Modiphius on continued development of Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition, but but Cults of the Blood Gods has a lot of interesting philosophical stuff for the vampires, but of course the, the, the big thing is that it's going to be adding in the Giovanni, or what used to be the Giovanni, because it's now going to be one big clan, right? It's got the Giovanni, and the Cappadocians, and the Harbingers of Skulls, and the Semeti, and the Lamia are back. So they always put out a, a good product. It looks to be really exciting. You can find it on Kickstarter right now. Hunter's Entertainment, and this is a little interesting, <laughs> Hunter's Entertainment is going to be producing Werewolf 5th Edition. So we're going to have these two different worlds of Darkness Alliance, not only as Vampire, itself being produced by two different companies, but Werewolf is going to be produced by, you know, yet another company. Uh, and Hunter's Entertainment, they've done horror games before, like they did Outbreak uh, Undead. They work with Renegade a lot now. And of course, Paradox still has executive control to make sure that everybody's working well. And I do expect them all to work well together. I've I've been reading through The Fall of London, which is the first Modiphius produced Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition book, and it's it's very clear looking at that that they've been cross-collaborating with Onyx Path, 
I mean, right, including you've got literally some of the same people working at the book, not on the books, not just the the folks at Paradox. And so I would anticipate that continuing with these different companies across the different lines. Radiant Offline Battle Arena finally got its release recently. They had a big tournament. I guess depending on how you think about it, they had a they had a relatively speaking a big tournament at PAX Unplugged. And so I, I think they actually clocked in at more players for their tournament than the Legend of the Five Rings Grand Cote had. So that was kind of interesting. I think that's a good start for them. You can hear us talking about uh, Radiant Offline Battle Arena if you want to go back to 2018's Gen Con episode, which was before it went on Kickstarter. But it is essentially a, right, it's an offline battle arena. So it's like a MOBA, but with cards instead of on your computer. So you've got the, you know, you pick a certain number of fighters, you mix the decks together, you're fighting in lanes, that sort of thing. It's the one of those situations where I have literally never played the video game style because I just don't have the chance to do your old uh, electronic games so much these days. But I still really liked the physical game despite having that reference point that's Radiant Offline Battle Arena. I also got to talk to Pinebox Entertainment. Pinebox Entertainment has two things in the hopper right now. The one that's been ongoing is Doomtown Reloaded. This used to be a CCG, or Doomtown was a CCG back in the day. And then Alderac resurrected it as an ECG a few years ago as Doomtown Reloaded. That lasted for a few years, and then Alderac pulled the plug on it. Pinebox took over, so they're continuing to make that. They're not producing it at the sort of volume of expansions that like AEG or Fantasy Flight would with an LCG. This is the sort of like one or two new releases to add into your decks every year, but but Doomtown Reloaded does continue on. Pinebox is also preparing to do a, a Kickstarter next year based on Heather Kreider's My Little Demon. If you have not heard of her, she is a, a long-standing artist. She, since we have roots uh, in L5R, she in, in, including Legend of the Five Rings art, and so My Little Demon is a project that she has been working on. Right, it's like I think her website now is mylittledemon.com, and so this is taking that and then making it into a game. So you'll be able to have the like anti-friendship ponies and such squabbling over who is going to be the unglitteriest of them all. There was also multiple new Gloomhaven on show. Uh, Gloomhaven, if you have somehow not heard of it, is the number one game on Board Game Geek. The original Gloomhaven is this just massive, massive, massive box where you could play a campaign mode for like 100 games worth or something and and still be going. It's kind of mind-boggling how much is in there. And there's two more Gloomhaven things coming out. First, Frosthaven is coming, and that seemed to be their most prominently featured thing at PAX Unplugged. And essentially, Frosthaven is Gloomhaven 2.0. It's going to be coming to Kickstarter. It's a full-size game. I imagine it will also be a ludicrous behemoth of a box. There's also Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, which seems to be, uh, I, I would say, Gloomhaven in a more traditional-sized package. You don't have an infinite array of heroes. You don't have an infinite sort of campaign, but you know it's at a a slimmer price point, a more normal entry level sort of experience, rather than having to go from nothing to the giant hundred dollar box. Now, on the the role playing game front, uh, as you know, I've I've done a lot of Magpie games at PAX Unplugged and just generally over the last couple of years, and so I tried my hand at two new. Magpie, well, two new to me Magpie Ashcan editions while at PAX Unplugged. Both of these are powered by the Apocalypse, as is, you know, standard for Magpie. And the, the one was Pasión de la Pasiones, which has been out since I think at least last year. The other one was Passing, which I first saw at Gen Con this year. I actually took a pass on playing it at Gen Con because it was making me feel a little twitchy, the the subject matter, but I was feeling up for it at PAX Unplugged, so I took a shot. So Passing is about 
aliens in the 1950s, essentially. And these are the, the, the general backdrop is that you are a member of a shape-shifting alien species that came to Earth on some exploratory missions and got shot down by the U.S. military, crashed, and you're in hiding. And so the game, right, is about trying to be true to what it means to be an alien while also having to fit in with humans, right? If you become too human, then you kind of like lose your identity. And that's one way a character can go away. You can also become too alien, at which point, you know, you can no longer pretend to be a human and you're going to be found and, you know, captured or killed or something. This is not really a game that's, I I, I don't think that's designed to have the end result of you actually change everyone's mind and everybody starts accepting aliens. It's obviously usable as a metaphor for all sorts of identity issues, and the game is definitely set in a time period where, right, like every sort of ism you can come up with is is in full force, where, you know, there are large chunks of the country that, you know, think it's okay to be 1950s America, where you're treating people like this based on race and orientation and all of that. So, you know, you definitely have to be willing to delve into that. It's still in Ashcan form, so it, it's not the final development. I think there's definitely some real potential there. This is a game that I played once rather than something that I, I bought and read a full rulebook for, so exactly how well that will work out would depend on what the ultimate form is. But I, I think it's definitely worth checking out if the subject matter is something you want to engage in. The other one was Pasión de la Pasiones, and this is basically you're playing characters in a telenovela. This one, I, I have to admit, I had a much harder time with because it seemed much more steeped in the tropes of the genre, and I just did not know what those are. Like I, I found myself not really knowing what I was supposed to do or what the boundaries were, and I I got to admit I was not really expecting that to be that big of a problem, but it was I definitely just did not know what to do. So I have to say for me personally, that one was not really able to in- engage me. So I maybe it's, maybe it was just me, maybe it's one of those ones where you really do have to be into the genre and the milieu to get it, but that one did not work out terribly well for me. But another interesting thing about both of those, so Passion, and I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, aren't I? Passion de la Passiones uses this method exclusively. Passing uses it sometimes, which is roll with questions, right? So if you've played a Powered by the Apocalypse role-playing game, usually you're always you're always rolling 2d6, and usually you're adding, you know, one, two, three, or subtracting a couple, you know, whatever, based on some statistic. Well, when rolling with questions, it replaces the statistic. So, Passion de la Passiones, characters do not have statistics at all. In passing, they have statistics, but sometimes you you roll with the questions. And what that means is, instead of having plus zero or plus one or plus two from a stat, you have questions that you're asking. So, like, if you're trying to manipulate someone into doing what you want, it will be like, add plus one if they feel like they owe you for something in the past, and then add plus one if you have a genuine emotional connection or something like that. And then your playbook will just have a general, like, add plus one anytime you're trying to take control of the situation, say. For that particular role, those entirely replace the stats. I'm kind of mixed on that. I like the idea of it. On the other hand, it can detract from the distinctiveness of the characters. The playbook question doesn't, but just the general questions, the fact that anybody can answer those questions in the same way really eliminates the notion that like this character is better at emotional manipulation or that character is better at logical thinking or or fighting or you know whatever depending on what the stats are. So you you lose some differentiation like that. It also slowed things down sometime. Like if I just say, okay, roll with hot, you know your hot's two, you roll, you add two. When it's roll with questions, every time you you had to stop, 
and then ask the question, and then the player would think about it, and ask the question, and then the player would think about it. Or you just, sometimes you got into a lot of players like, oh, I'm El Jefe, you know, I'm the boss in, in which is one of the playbooks in Passion de la Passiones, and so I'm just going to characterize it so that everything that I ever do is taking control of the situation, and therefore I always get plus one. Uh, which is the sort of kind of like meta gaming pushing what counts as what that usually doesn't come up in at least in my experience in a powered by the apocalypse game and it felt like that started coming up with the role with questions where I some I felt that some of the players were kind of BSing on the answers or what their motives were in order to get that plus one. So I don't know. Again, I, I like the concept, but in the limited, in very rarely, we're talking about like two sessions that I've had playing with the role with questions. I, I kind of found myself just wishing we had stats. I mean, what what exactly those stats are, of course, is going to depend on the system. But I don't know. So that was my crack at at playing uh, passing and passion de la passiones from Magpie. Of course, I, I mean Magpie's one. I mean. They've got Root now. That's coming. That already had its Kickstarter. I think that's going to be pretty big. And their their biggest thing, for sure, is still Masks, which is a, an amazing, amazing game. I also, for the first time in quite a while, sat down at an AEG big game night. Alderac, I mostly think of associating this with Gen Con, and what has happened over the last several years is usually Jay will go to AEG big game night, and I have some other event on Saturday night, I, you know, I do a thing with Renegade, or I do a thing with Paizo, or, you know, right, there's, you know, some Pathfinder thing, so it was, it was kind of like, oh, hey, I can, they, they have it at PAX Unplug this year, I'll do it, and I think they did the same basic thing that they did at Gen Con, and the, the broad concept of Big Game Night is that everybody is paying some modest fee, you come together, everybody plays one game together, and then you are going to walk out of there with a box with, I don't know, let's say three. It was three this year. I don't know what it, it will be next year. I don't know what it was two years ago, but it was three this year, like three different AEG games. And so after you play the one big game, you then have the ability to go around and be taught what all of the games, all, all of the games that you had uh, in your box. So this year, for example, the three games in the box were Atelier, Walking in Burano, and Curios. Out of those three, Curios was my favorite. Thematically, the game is about searching for artifacts in various ancient sites. Whatever, that doesn't really matter. The main thing is that there are four colors, and there's tokens at those colors, and you start out the game with a hidden value under each of these four spots, and you have a certain number of cards in your hand. And those cards are essentially telling you some information about what the value cards are not, right? So if, if I have the yellow seven in my hand, seven's the highest value, I know that's a limit on what yellow might be. If I happen to have the yellow seven and the yellow five, now I know that the yellow value is either a three or a one, so it's just not worth squat. And so you're playing some bidding, essentially, bidding of your pawns, to go out and send researcher and send your archaeologist out to these different spots, and when you assign people, you get, you know, you recover an artifact in the location. Whoever has majority recovers an artifact from that location, and then you can try to gain an advantage and get a few more pawns by revealing the information that you have. It's a very fast-playing game. I enjoyed it. That was Curios. The main event of Big Game Night was Tiny Towns, which, because that's the sort of big thing that AEG is pushing was not one that you got in the box. You had to go buy that separately. But Tiny Towns is a game I, I... We talked about one of the Gen Con, so we won't go into it at length. But you start with an empty grid. And in a normal game, you have a small group of players, and then, you know, like, the players are taking turns picking a resource. Everybody gets one of that resource, has to decide where to put it on their board. And then when you form the right pattern with the right resources, you can pick it all up and one of the spots that was occupied by the resources, you put down the appropriate building. And then at the end of the game, you've got, you're going to have a different variety of scoring, depending on what the buildings are that are being used that game and what your particular configuration was. The big, you know, 150-player Tiny Towns game 
instead of having it be one of the four players sitting at your little group doing the picking, they instead have, uh, you know, kind of a bingo style thing up front where it would be like, it's wood or it's glass. And then so every one of the players is going to have, of of those, you know, 150 players is going to have the exact same options of of what to put out. It's just an interesting, it's a fun game. It's just an interesting little uh, community thing. The, The community thing actually reduces the strategy of it a bit because normally when you when you get to pick, you can think about what resource you want, and then you can think about denying your opponents the resource. So it makes it a little bit less strategic, but it's a it's an interesting, different way to get to to play it in addition to the usual out of the box experience. Another game I played with AEG, not big game night game, in fact, not out yet, is Inner Compass. Now I will admit that I first went over and and wanted to check out Inner Compass because I'm like, oh, that sounds like a cool theme. Oh, some sort of like inner morality play or something. And and thematically, the game is about living a full life and having a variety of experiences. But let, let me be clear that the this is one of those theme is irrelevant abstract games. So in Inner Compass, you're going to start with a personal player board with three rows of tokens. And then you're going to have your pawn and everybody else's pawns out on a central player board that starts out blank. And on each of your turns, you're going to be moving your pawn, picking up a card or cards maybe, then you possibly have the option to turn in a set of cards in exchange for victory points. And each of the colors of cards represents an emotion. So there's love and there's joy and there's fear, that sort of thing. But the interesting thing about the gameplay is that you have to think about the interaction about the color and the direction. Because when you move on the board, the direction that you move dictates which cards you get to pick up. Because there's a central deck, and then there's four cards around it in the four cardinal directions. And so moving to a white space doesn't really mean as... That doesn't dictate what you're going to pick up. It's the fact that you moved right. And that's going to dictate that you're picking up that card over there. Now you get a bonus if the color of the card you're picking up also matches where you're moving to. And you have to be on a particular color in order to trade in a set of that color. So it's not something where you have to completely melt your brain trying to to math things out off into the future, but you definitely have to kind of think about how the different intersections are going to work of moving and where the colors are. On top of that, there are four bonus tiles, essentially. And those are going to be extra end-of-game scoring, but not all of the end-of-game scoring is going to apply to everybody. So you kind of want to, again, you want to think about how you, you're going to do it, and those are going to relate to how your tokens are put out on the board as you turn in sets. And so every time you clear a row or column on your player board by having put out the tokens, you're going to get to choose another one of these bonus tiles to get. And it might, you know, there might have a bonus tile of, like, self-sufficiency, and that rewards you for having, like, many different chunks, uh, many different chunks of tokens out on the board. So now you kind of want to make sure that your tokens aren't touching each other so you can have lots of different things. You might get one that rewards you for putting your tokens in the same spots as somebody else. It's solidarity or something like that. I liked the game. It was a fun little abstract. Like I said, the theme, not really relevant, which is too bad because I thought the theme was pretty cool. And you know, it, it did its job of attracting me to the game in the first place. But that, that was a fun one. That was Inner Compass that's coming from AEG in early 2020. I mentioned Renegade games earlier in the context of an association with Hunter. The new Renegade game that I played at PAX Unplugged 2019 is Clip Cut Park. There's a lot of roll and write games now, right? You're rolling the dice and then you're marking something down with a pencil and maybe you're writing out a fortress or a, a train tracks or something like that. This is roll and cut. Literally, you have a pad of paper or you have a, or you, you have a pad and then you have a sheet. You, you get a sheet of paper off of the pad and the game comes with scissors and you're rolling and the rolling is going to tell you what cuts you are going to be making on your piece of paper. Your piece of paper has uh, is a bunch of squares, and the roll might tell you to make like make a cut of one, a cut of two, a cut of three, and that's going to tell you how many 
how long, how many squares long your cut has to be. And what you're ultimately trying to do is get pieces to fall off that you can then put on these cards that you have to make particular patterns. What you're trying to avoid doing is having pieces fall off that don't do anything, because you then crumple those up, set them aside, and they're going to be a detriment when you get to the end of the game and you're doing your scoring. At first, I suppose, I'm sure there's someone out there who's like, oh my gosh, cutting things up. It's a pad of paper. It's the same kind of thing as if, you know, you're writing the scoring down. You'll live. It'll be all right. I'm a little twitchy about things like that. It was perfectly fine. I did not have a very easy time with it. It's much harder than it sounds, at least for me. On the other hand, I'm pretty bad at patchwork, so maybe spatial stuff is just not my wheelhouse from a competence standpoint. You you just say it, and it sounds like, oh, you're cutting pieces off of a piece of paper, like yawn. That doesn't involve any thinking. Clip cut parks is significantly more thinky, I, I, I suspect, than at least for me, it was significantly more thinky than I thought it was going to be. Not as light as it might seem. So if, if, if it sounds interesting, you thought maybe O oh, is going to be a little too casual and non-thinking, think again. That's Clip Cut Parks from Renegade. I got the chance to play Phoenix Syndicate, which came out this year from Osmati Games. Phoenix Syndicate is a, they called it 3X. There's no exterminating, but you do expand and explore and exploit. This is a lot of set collection, essentially, resource resource management set collection. You have a hex board out with a variety of different planets, and you have four different actions you can take, and then one action, which is pick everything back up, because you can only take each of the other actions once until you've done it. And what you're, you're doing over the course of this game is you have, these, you have two ships, and you're spreading them out, and you, you pay resources to move through gates to get to other territories, and then you put down agents on the spots that you arrive at, and then later you upgrade them to bases and then you can get a technology, and while you're doing all of this, you're also acquiring trade routes, and you can turn the trade routes in for victory points, and then you're also paying attention to which color of trade routes you're getting and which kind of technology you're taking, because a lot of these things are going to give you the option to improve your relationship with a particular corporation, and so you want to think about what the reward is for getting your cooperation track all the way up to the top with that corporation. Do you want that reward? Is it a good reward? When do you want to get that reward? That was a fun time. That's Phoenix Syndicate from Asmati. I got to play a prototype copy of Wonderland's War. This is from Druid City Games and Skybound Games. It is going to be on Kickstarter early next year. I will note that it's one of those things where, like, I think you can get the, the normal version or the version with miniatures, and I'm sure that basically everyone is going to get the version with miniatures. I'm not a big miniatures person, you know, they're not super necessary for the the theme. However, or they're not when they're not super necessary for what the game is, like just like, oh, here's a random miniature from my pawn. And that's mostly what these are. But but I really like the Alice in Wonderland theme, and these are really cool sculpts of those various Wonderland characters. So it's the sort of one I even I I think will go for the the miniature full version. But right, most people you're just gonna want to go get the miniature version. Go to town. Wonderland's War it takes place over several rounds, but in each round you have essentially two different phases. The first is the Tea Party, right? So everybody's at the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. And then the second one is battling over various regions of Wonderland. And so when, when we were playing, I don't know what the, if these are the only four options, but like one, one person was Alice, one person was the Queen of Hearts, one person was the Jabberwocky, that sort of thing. And this is a bag building game. And what you're doing during the Tea Party phase is building your bag. You're getting better chips to put in there. You're also maybe picking up these negative shards. They're like the fragments of the looking glass that's been shattered. And and that is, right, you've got a, a little board that shows the seats at the tea party, and you have to, to move around to them. It's one of those things where, like, oh, do you want to jump way further ahead to get the card that you really want? Or do you want to hang back? Because if you get too far ahead, then you're going to have to stop at the spot that does nothing but give you shards. And, oh, nobody wants to do that. But, yeah. You know, balance it all out. Then you go to the battle phase, and you're going to have an array of locations out, and you will have, during the tea party, as you acquired some of these spots, put towers on the board, and then on the on the boards, and then once you've picked up all of your cards, then you're going to put your character out there. You know, I'm Alice, I'm going to put Alice out in a particular place, uh, and you're going to battle. And 
This is an area control aspect then, and this is where you draw the chips out of a bag. When you draw your good chips out of the bag, well, that is going to increase your power at that particular location. And at the end of the battle, whoever has the most power is going to win the victory points for that location. But also in the bag, you're going to have some negative chips, right? You're going to have collecting lots of the little shard fragments during the tea party phase is going to result in you getting more shard chips that go in your bag. And every time you pull out one of these shard chips, you're going to lose one of your towers at the battle. And if you lose all of your towers, you bust and you're out of the battle no matter how you are. So there's, there's definitely an element of push your luck especially because there is a second place at the battles. So at some point, you might want to just be like, you know what, I'm out. I'm just going to settle for second place. You pull another one out and risk having nothing entirely. You do that back and forth for, I, I mean, we played one round because this is a demo with a prototype version. I think maybe you played three uh, if you do the full-on game with a, a successively more threatening array of pieces getting added into your bag. I, I thought it was fun. Again, that's that's Wonderland's War. It's going to be on Kickstarter or very early in 2020. Another Kickstarter game I got the chance to play was On the Rocks, except this is something that already was on Kickstarter. It's now in a pre-order sort of phase. It's sort of. It's now in a pre-order phase from Pen Tree Games. And On the Rocks, it has marbles, which is rocks, and also it's got a drinking bartending theme so very clever with the the on the rocks and what this is going to be that you have a player board with four different kinds like one's a martini glass one's a hurricane glass that sort of thing and you have one drink order for each of those glasses and on each of your turns you're going to take some marbles out of the bag based on a die roll and you're going to distribute those marbles around Moncala style in some cups. These little plastic cups, or little rubber cups, rather. And then you get to pick which one of those you want, and then you get to use those to fill your drink order. This is another one where, if you want, you can get very thinking as you're trying to plan ahead and think about what your opponent, look at your opponent's drink orders, think about what they need, think about which cup they are likely to want to pick up. Like, oh, I can see that there's one cup that has, that's going to have significantly more marbles left after I pick up the cup that I want. So I might want to make sure that when I'm doing my Moncala thing and dropping the marbles around, that the marbles that I put into that one, which I'm pretty sure my opponent is going to take, are ones that are going to hurt them, or at least not help them. You complete three rounds of drinks, and then you're done. And then pro probably in, in short order after that, your opponent will complete their rounds of drinks, and then you, you know, tally up the victory points from the various drinks you've won and the bonus cards you've used. I enjoyed that. Definitely colorful. I mean, you could play this without the theme, and I mean, thematically, I don't think the color of the marbles really matched, but it does give you some really nice-looking player boards. Everything's vibrant colors on the boards, on the marbles, on the packaging, so you get this whole vibe off of it to go with the, the fun game. Again, so it's one of those it's one of those things where, like, the theme doesn't necessarily matter, but the theme really helps get and enjoy the game. So I, I liked On the Rocks from Pen Tree Games. I said I was going to throw in a rant, so let me throw in a rant here. I'm not going to say what the game was, but I uh, played someone's game over the course of this. Over the weekend, I played many someone's games, but this particular game was a you know lighthearted sort of game. Lighthearted, casual sort of game. And we played the game, and I and there was a card in the game. This was something that was going to be on Kickstarter. It made me go, wow, is this, so is this like already locked for Kickstarter? And they were very emphatic about how, oh yes, everything's totally ready to go. And because I think they were, you know, wondering, they thought I was asking about, oh, like how prepared they were. And really it was because I kind of wanted to say, oh my gosh, please do not put this card in your product. But they were locked, so I didn't say that because it's not effective. And so uh, here's one of my little little mini ranting things. Like, don't print cards that punish players for talking. I mean, I know that there are some games where the whole shtick of the game, it's some sort of party game and it limits how people talk, and, and that's one thing. But this, there was a card in this game that said, okay, here is a game term. And every time another player uses this game turn, 
something bad is going to happen to them. And I just had flashbacks to Unhinged. This is the, and, and I'm not going to go too long. This is the second Magic the Gathering like joke set, right? The Silver Border sets that they have. And they had a series of cards in there that were called things like Creature Dude and Kill Destroy. And so Kill Destroy was a kill spell. It would destroy a creature. But then anytime your opponent ever said kill or destroy, it would come back into your hand. And they've acknowledged that these cards were a mistake to print. Because the idea was that, oh, these will be this fun little thing. You'll say it, oh, and everybody will laugh, and you'll go, oh, darn. And what actually happened was when you would sit down to play this set, because you knew, I mean, this is much more pervasive than one card. I, I, I get that. But you knew that there were these cards out there, that there was this cycle of cards that punished you if you said common words. And so what happened was that people played games of Unhinged in silence. Except to the extent that, you know, they were playing with one of the cards that required them to talk, right? You'd have the sort of thing where, like, I play my spell, I don't even want to say, like, I'm targeting that dude or that guy or killing that, because all of those are trigger words. So it's like, I take my spell and I kind of, like, tap your card to show which thing I'm targeting with it. Bad idea. So it was really bad and unhinged. What it's going to be in this game, it's a single card. It's not nearly as big a deal. But I, I think I want to, to put that up there with my trivial yet important in their sphere rules of game design, along with like, don't ever refer to less than X, right? Don't say, if you have less than 10, get blah, blah, blah. Say nine or less. It's always easier for people to remember. If you say less than 10, people will have a hard time remembering which side of the line 10 is on. If you say nine or less, people will always know which side of the line nine is on. So there's my mini rant for the day. So a few more things to talk about for you. I got the chance to take a look at Cloudspire from Chip Theory Games. Chip Theory Games is best known for Too Many Bones, which is somewhat ironic because while Too Many Bones does have a lot of these like really super nice poker chips, it's of course primarily known for the dice, the bones, as it were. But Cloudspire is primarily focused on the chips. Like Too Many Bones, it, it uses one of the things it uses the chip for is that the stack of chips uh, represents health. But Cloudspire is a MOBA tower defense themed sort of game. So each player has their gate that their stuff is coming on. You can build up your defenses on your gate. You can build up your defenses that are out on the board. And then you're going to have these units that are marching forward and when you activate them, they have to march forward, right? There's no, like, strategically doing nothing sort of thing. Once the unit's out there, it's going to go on through. But again, if you liked the production quality and the massive feel of Too Many Bones, Cloudspire is going to... Completely different theme from Too Many Bones. But again, you're going to have, you know, super nice components, these super nice chips, super nice polyurethane mats to use to build the table, big giant box just completely full of stuff. That's the, the sort of thing that gets you going in a game. You should check out Cloudspire from Chip Theory Games. I in, in talking about Kapow, I mentioned Dice Throne. I don't think that Dice Throne really needs to be talked about a terrible lot. It's it's primarily a dueling game where each player you have a, a board for a particular hero and they have their own set of dice and you you're rolling the dice to activate the abilities and you have that Yahtzee sort of thing where you get to re-roll a certain number of them. So Dice Throne Season 1 was the original product. I think Dice Throne Season 2 is in the works, but what they had at PAX Unplug was Dice Throne Season 1 re-rolled. And so these are essentially like, I, I don't know if second editions is really the right word, but like tweaked versions of the season one heroes and so those are going to be available either in like one versus one packages is also how the season two will also be available or you know a package with all eight of them i think not eight one versus one but i think four one versus one to add up i don't know so there's there's going to be even more dice thrown uh, already out and continuing to roll your way last thing i'll talk about is fantastic factories from meta factory games Yes, there is a Metafactory card in the Fantastic Factories game. 
I don't know enough to know about the strategy, but I've just got to assume that it's super awesome if you're naming it after the company. Fantastic Factories is essentially a, a dice, it's a dice worker placement game. Getting more of these, I think they, they continue to have a lot of space to play in and they're kind of fun. This one is about building the best factory, so you'll be using the dice to activate the various cards that you have. Its primary, primary method of interaction is going to be who gets cards out of the center for, for special workers, but it's a fairly straightforward roll the dice, use the dice to activate your things, get resources, buy more stuff, have more options and more powerful stuff on later turns. But it had a fun vibe to it. It has the upside and downside of being fairly multiplayer solitaire. So the downside is if you want lots of interaction, this is not going to be for you. The upside is that it, it has that element where, okay, yeah, you can add out the player count, but that doesn't really make anything take any longer because everyone is able to just sort of simultaneously do their dice rolling and activation. And then you, you'll get to the end and see what everybody produced that round and then move on to the next one. And that is Fantastic Factories from Meta Factory Games. So that was my PAX Unplugged 2019. I, I very much hope I get to go to PAX Unplugged 2020, but it is possible that I will not because it's like the weekend before Thanksgiving, I think, and I'm going to have some kind of family trip, I'm pretty sure, which is just rotten. Here's me shaking my fist into the air in futility. But if you have the chance to go to, to PAX Unplugged, I, I highly recommend it. It's not the sort of gargantuan experience is something like Gen Con is. You know, so like if you're going to go to one, I'm going to say, okay, go to Gen Con. But it, it has a, a very well-run, very well-oiled feel to it without being massive. Uh, so, you know, it's the uh, the littlest little, right, Reno is like, what, the littlest big city, right? It's the littlest big convention. It's At some point, it's just going to be a big convention, but it's it's still kind of working its way up to that. But until then, You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there or iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are sold on whatever podcatching service you use, but especially if it's iTunes. We really, 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 really appreciate if you leave ratings and reviews. Those help other people find the show. We also even more so appreciated if you check us out at patreon.com slash strangeassembly and help support the show that way. But you can also find us on the usual social media. We are at strangeassembly on Twitter, facebook.com slash strangeassembly, and the much less frequently used strangeassembly on Instagram. You can also reach me directly. I'm chris at strangeassembly.com. I always love to hear your comments and feedback, criticism, what have you. But until then, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.